Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good seeing you today. We're continuing, picking back up on Romans chapter 6. And uh, those of you who weren't here last week, that was a great celebration, wasn't that? Uh, to be able to celebrate what God has done and your generosity and your faithfulness. Uh, today, I, I want to talk about some hardcore facts that are essential to truly understand some things about your Christian life. Many Christians live frustrated, discouraged, and defeated lives, and I'm convinced it's because they do not and, apply, and do not know and do not apply some of the fantastic truths that are, we're going to read today in Romans chapter 6. And so we're going to look at these hardcore facts about your relationship with Christ, your life in Christ, and I want to start by talking to you about the three great phases of your salvation. And understanding these phases will help you to grasp what we're going to read in Romans chapter 6. So the first phase of your Christian life, when you became a believer, there's the first phase that happened, and that was your justification. Justification. Justification means that you have been set free from the penalty of sin, from the penalty of sin. And this has to do with your past. <clears throat> this is how you know that you're accepted by God and how you're, you have now a right relationship with God. Now, justification is not doing good works, going to church, having religion, keeping the law. Justification comes with faith in Jesus Christ. That's it, faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result you have been completely forgiven, absolutely completely forgiven. That means you are not going to have to pay for your sins. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that. And because I do not have enough to pay for my sins. We are freed from the penalty of sins. That's justification. That means it's taken care of the fact that you get to go to heaven. And that's done, that's settled. The second phase is the phase that, phase that you're living in right now, and that's called sanctification. Now, sec, sanctification is being set free from the power of sin. You've already been set free from the penalty of sin, that's done. Now, you are in the process and it's a lifelong process of being set free from the power of sin. And, uh, and it is a struggle. Uh, even, even though you know what you're going, you know what you're doing is wrong, uh, and, and you still do it anyway, it's this constant struggle that we have. In fact, I, I think sanctification and understanding that is the key to overcoming that problem. See, we convince ourselves we don't have the power to overcome sin. The penalty of sin is already done with. 
But now you are having, you are, have already been given and you're applying that you have the power over sin in your life. Saying that you cannot help yourself is not a legitimate excuse. Then there's the third phase. It's yet to come. This is the future thing. And that is the glorification. That is the day that you are set free from the presence of sin. So you've been forgiven from the penalty. That's been done. Never gonna have to do that again. You're in the process of being set free from the uh, power of sin, but the day's gonna come when you go to heaven and then you will no longer have the presence of sin. It'll not be anywhere around. You'll be set free from the presence of sin and temptation. Now, I wish I had that right now, but we live in a fallen world where things are messed up, people are rebellious, all of humanity's rebelled against God, and, I mean, if, if you just pay attention of what's going on in the world, ultimately it has to do with rejecting holy God and anything that he stands for. So, as a result of the glorification, no more presence of sin, that's why there are no more sorrows, there's no more tears, no more problems, no more worries, the stuff we have to deal with now. So we'll be set free from that presence of sin. It will not be around. It will not be bothered by it anymore. So sanctification is where we live, we're living right now. And uh, so that's what we're going to focus on. The scripture talks about the struggles that we have as Christians, struggles with ourselves, struggles with sin, struggles with the enemy. So we're going to find out how to overcome this power of temptation in our lives, and how do we handle these struggles, and how do you deal with it uh, when your old sin nature wants to resurrect itself out of the grave and come back and haunt you? Most Christians, what we're getting ready to talk about, most Christians don't understand this. And it, and it seems that the majority of Christians that I run into actually live defeated, frustrated, discouraged lives. And so much of that is based on the lack of understanding a biblical truth. So they live as if there is no power in their life, even though it's been promised to us and it has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. And it really boils down to not understanding what Romans 6 has to say. And Paul, Paul says that in order for you to break the power of sin in your life, the temptation to do wrong, you have to know some things and you have to do some things. So the secret of victory over sin in your life is knowing a couple of facts and taking a couple of steps. The, part, of the, part of the deal is understanding the difference between positional truth and experiential truth. Can something be true without you ever experiencing it? Well, yeah, that's true. Can something be true even though you have never felt it? Sure. 
Can something be true even though you don't understand it? Yes. Can something be true even though you don't believe it? Well, absolutely. I mean, a whole lot of people don't believe Jesus even existed, but that doesn't mean he's not true. There are some things that God says in the Bible about you that are from a circumstantial viewpoint. And you say, well, that didn't make a lot of sense. So let's, let's kind of break this down. For example, the Bible says that once you're saved, your sins are completely forgiven. Yet, many Christians go around feeling guilty, right? I mean, do you spend a lot of time feeling guilty? Positionally, you have been forgiven of your, spin, uh, of your sin. Experientially, though, you feel guilty. And God says that in Christ, you are covered with his righteousness. And you are, uh, get this, this is what God says. In God's eyes, he sees perfection. Because you've been placed in Jesus, positionally, but experientially, you don't feel perfect. But when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. Wow, my, my brain begins to hurt every time I try to wrap my brain around that truth. So let's keep digging. Let's keep learning what the Bible says. So positional truth is what God says about my Christian life. Experiential truth is when I begin to live the way God sees me. When I begin to live the way God looks at me, the way God sees me, then I am experiencing truth, not just a positional truth. Positionally, my sins are forgiven. God sees Jesus when he looks at me. Now I want to get to that place where I experience that. Positional truth is what God says about my Christian life. Experiential truth is when I begin to live the way God sees me. Um, a great pastor, I love to hear him preach, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, he's, he is, is an extremely old guy now, but man, he still preaches with power. He uses this, he used this as an example to understand what I'm talking about right now. He, he uses the example of back in 1860s when President Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. The moment he signed that, every slave in the United States was positionally free. Now, did every slave experience that freedom? No. It wasn't until after the war they actually began to experience that positional truth. So it's kind of like you positionally have been set free from sin, but experientially you still struggle with sin. 
In fact, many of those slaves, even though positionally they were set free, some of them really never experienced freedom in their lifetime. Positionally, they were free from their master, but experientially, they were still slaves. That's the way a lot of you feel spiritually. If God says amazing things about you, then how can you experience in your life what God says is true? If God says that you're free, you're dead to sin, then how can you experience that? How can I convert something that God says about me into a practical life? How do I take the Bible and apply it to my life? <clears throat> well, you do it a couple of ways. <clears throat> and then we're, we're going to get into Romans chapter 6 now. Here, here's three ways you could do this as we're getting ready to talk about this. I must know it. So I must know what God says, how to, how to act on something and and to know what God says about it. Two, I have to believe it. And then three, I have to act on it. So I have to know, I have to believe, and I have to act. I know that I love my wife. I believe that I love my wife. So I need to act like I love my wife. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Well, don't tell Mary I just said that. Um, I got to find a better way of saying that, don't I? <laughs> I'm glad she is not here today. <laughs> but she always goes back and listens to the message. So Mary, I didn't mean that. <laughs> well, let's get down to Romans chapter six. Beginning with verse one. Here's some hardcore facts. Well then, should we keep on sinning? Now he's referring back to something he just said in chapter 20. In chapter 20, he, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter five, verse 20, he said, where sin increases, grace increases. So now he's saying, well then, if that's true, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he quickly answers his own question, of course not. That makes no sense. You see, there were a lot of believers who wanted to buy into that thinking. There was a group of believers back then who believed that your body and your soul were separate from each other, and your soul's what saved, your soul's what goes to heaven, so it didn't matter what you did with your body. You could sin all you want to. It made no difference. And Paul says, that's nuts. That's just not true at all. There's, there's some that say they would just have this crazy thinking, like, well, God says the more I sin, the more grace there is. I'm going to do a God, fa God a favor and let him give me more grace by sinning more. I'm just going to sin more so I can have more. And Paul said, you know, Paul knew how they would think. So he answered the question before it was even asked. And, and so Paul says, of course not. That's not how it works. You missed the whole point. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? So here's some hardcore facts. 
When you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, so baptism was the outward expression of what happened spiritually. So it's like when you pray to receive Christ, you were spiritually baptized, but when you were physically baptized, it was representing what happened spiritually. He said, you joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now, did you catch what he just said? And here is a hardcore fact. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That power lives in you. So let me think for a moment. If the power to raise Jesus was was enough to raise Jesus from the dead, isn't it enough to give me victory over the temptation of sin? Absolutely. So that is a positional truth. You have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you, so I need to take a positional truth and make it an experiential truth. I'm gonna live in that power. I'm gonna claim that power. I'm gonna believe that power. Now here's the kicker. Sometimes you intentionally, you, may, you can say, I'll let you off the hook and you can say subconsciously. Sometimes you intentionally set yourself up to sin, right? You put yourself in the environment where the sin can happen. You put yourself in the position where you can experience that sin. So as you mature as a believer, Paul is saying, hey, you've got the power to say no. And you have to, you have to learn to say no before you position yourself. So when your brain starts conniving, starts setting yourself up, and listen, you know yourself well enough, you know you have that one thought, and it triggers the next thought, and it just is a process, and it's almost like it's so entrenched in your life that once you start the process, you have no choice but to finish the process. That's a lie. But at the very beginning, you have to, you have to say, Father, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me, and I claim that power. I'm not going to position myself to sin. I'm going to position myself to live this new life I have. Now, don't you think when you start talking that way to God, you're more likely to experience victory over that sin? So you have to change the way you talk. Change the way you set yourself up or not. Verse three, or have you forgotten 
that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, you were joined in his death. Have you forgotten that? Verse four, let me say this again. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives, the same power. Verse five. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So you were placed in Christ when you became a believer. You were placed in Christ when you became a believer. So should I continue on sinning? He's talking about a continuous, deliberate sin here. Isn't that what a lot of us deal with? A continuous, deliberate sin? In the previous chapter, in verse 20, where he said, where grace increases, I mean, when sin increases, grace increases. He's basically, some of you think that when it gets real bad, just, you know, God pours on more grace, which he does. But you don't go looking for that thinking you get more grace. God is saying, you totally misunderstand my grace. I've given you the grace not to go back there. I've given you the grace that forgives you, but I've given you the grace to not go back there. If you and I are really a Christian, then it's going to show up in our lifestyle. I want, to, I want to just tell you, some of the most miserable people that I meet are believers who try to sin and get away with it. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit's in them and they're grieving the Holy Spirit and they feel the grieving of the Spirit. This is not going to show up on the screen. 1 John 3, 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. Because they are children of God. He's just affirming what Paul is saying. Things are different. Look, let's go back to Romans 6 and look at verse 6. <clears throat> we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Crucifixion, death. Our old sinful selves died. Died with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So the penalty of sin was taken care of. That's done. But now, the crucifixion of Christ and us being crucified with him means that sin will start losing its power in our lives. And the longer you're a Christian, the more powerless sin should become in your life. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This is the sanctification process. This is what's happening. Listen to this point. When Christ died, your sin, old sin nature was crucified with him. 
positionally. So now you need to learn to experience that. Verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. That's how do I know I'm going to live with Christ forever? Simple. Jesus rose from the dead. Whenever anybody talks to me and asks me, why are you a Christian? Why, what makes Jesus right? I simply say, because I cannot refute the resurrection. No one has been able to refute the resurrection. And the resurrection changes everything. Absolutely everything. All these other world religious leaders, they're still in their grave. But Jesus is not. Verse 9. We are sure that of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives, and he lives for the glory of God. So here's the point. Christ's resurrection has guaranteed your ultimate victory. And your ultimate victory is you will be in heaven. Therefore, verse 11 so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This, he's saying, positionally, this is who you are. You're dead to sin. Now you need to start experiencing it. And how do you experience it? Well, you consider yourself, you claim yourself, you declare yourself, I am dead to sin because of Jesus. So I'm going to start living like I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the power of sin. And therefore, I'm alive to Christ. So I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. Verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't do it. He wouldn't say that if you had a, didn't have a choice. This implies you have a choice. Do not give in to sinful desires. You have a choice. Or he wouldn't say that. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Whether it's your tongue that speaks lies, your mind, your hands, your eyes, whatever part of you that gives in, it says, don't do it. You have a choice. And here's what you do instead. Instead of doing that, you give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So I just need to start talking to God, claiming the truth. God, <clears throat> I'm being tempted in this way right now, but the truth of the matter is Jesus died for this and the power of sin, it has no power over me and I wanna live in that truth that it has no power over me. 
You see, if I start talking to God, when I start feeling tempted, who do you think is going to win? If I start talking to God at the beginning of the temptation, and if I start claiming biblical truth at the beginning of the temptation, there is a strong likelihood that I will not yield to the temptation. But if I avoid God and I avoid the Holy Spirit when I start to feel tempted, then I'm going to focus on the temporary satisfaction of the sin. And it's always temporary. So it begins at the very beginning of the, of the journey, of the battle. Learn to resist. And you resist through discipline. You resist through discipleship. You resist through determination. This is why we're, we have men's group and uh, discipleship groups because you have accountability. You have people that feel and think like you do and know in the struggles that you struggle with and they're there to help you. It gives you a source of friendships where you can look at each other and say, hey, I know what you're struggling with. I struggle with the same thing. Let's help each other. Let's look at verse 13, the second part of that verse. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Your entire being, use it for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. That's positional. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. That's your position. Instead, experientially, live under the freedom of God's grace. So bottom line, live for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. Romans 6, he says that when we were crucified with Jesus, this body of sin was rendered powerless. We do not have to sin anymore. We can choose to sin, but it is a choice. He's not saying you'll be perfect. He's just saying you can choose. There are times in your life when you, unfortunately, will be the victim of a sin that you didn't choose, but you're the victim of it. But before you were a Christian, you had no power to stop. But now you do. Because you didn't have power then, sin had power over you. But now you do have the power, and sin is rendered powerless. You know, um, it's sad for me to think that so many believers will spend their entire lives not experiencing who they really are in Jesus. They will spend their, they'll still go to heaven, but they will spend their whole lives living under the power of sin 
instead of the power of Jesus. And they'll be frustrated their entire lives. It's so unnecessary. So unnecessary. So you have these truths. Believe them. Act on them. Claim them. And it will set you free from the power of sin. And what it does in your life. Now, I want to change gears just for a moment. Last week was a great celebration of paying off our debt. And that was a milestone for us. But that's not an end into itself. Personally, I just want to speak candidly and personally to you as your pastor. Personally, I, I think we are about to enter into an era of some of the most exciting times in the life of this church. In fact, I, I think over the next 12 months, we will make some decisions. I don't know what those decisions are going to be, but I do know I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we make the decisions God's made for us, that we discover and discern and do the things that God has said. And I think that we will have the opportunity to be used by God in ways we never imagined. Never imagined. I mean, it's amazing some of the things that God is doing in this church and lives that have been changed and the things we get to do around the world. It's incredible to think about that. And I think it's just scratching the surface compared to what God really wants to do. Um, we got a new members class coming up in a few weeks. A lot of you have been, you've been coming to Gateway for a while, but you've just never signed up. You know, you're, you've not joined the church. Let's fix that. That's an easy fix. We want you to be not a visitor. We want you to be a member, part of the family. We care about you. And uh, some of you have been visiting a long enough time that you may think you're a visitor, I mean a member. And, uh, and we can tell you real quick if you are or not. But we, I just want to challenge you to come and sign, sign, up, sign up to be a part of this family and just seal the deal and just say, hey, God's called me to this church, to this family. I want to serve here. Secondly, if we're going to truly discern what God has for us as a church, we, we have got to bathe that in prayer. So over the next few weeks, I don't want anybody to make any decisions today, but I'm going, to, I'm going to be looking for 120 people who are going to join with me as prayer partners about God's purpose and plans for this church. I want to bathe it in prayer. We, you know, we have many people who are prayer warriors in our church. We have people who come and they pray over the, every single chair uh, before the service, they pray for the room, they just pray for you. And uh, we have groups that get together during the week to pray. And I'm very grateful for that. But I really want to up the ante on this one. And so, and, and if we get up, we get to 120, great, we'll take more. But I'm looking for 120 people who are going to say, yes, pastor, I'm going to join with you in prayer. I don't know what all that's going to look like. It may look like a 
you know, some specific times of prayer together as a group. Uh, it, it'll, it'll definitely involve you getting uh, emails from me or texts from me on a regular basis, maybe even a daily basis about here's what you can pray about today. Um, but prayer is where power is unleashed. That's where it's unleashed. And that's the way Jesus did it. So that's the way we're going to do it. So I want you to begin to pray about whether God wants you to be one of those 120. So let me pray with you now. Let's just thank God for what he has done and for what he's going to do in the future. But let's focus on what he's wanting to do right now.